So we'd like to welcome everyone back to the Nova Society. And today, Brooklyn and I continue our conversation about the math of the House of Representatives, where Kevin McCarthy sits, and what maybe his options are for moving forward and maybe even keeping his speakership. So let's listen in. So now then, uh, if, if you are correct in your assessment, now let's just say... I I was thinking of the 15 rounds of voting that it took to get McCarthy in and all the time that that took. Let's say that there is a move to vacate. Is it possible that there are endless rounds of voting that never actually lead to vacating the chair, but continued motions to vacate and continued like endless and nothing else gets done? And my other question is, do you know how long the the longest historical government shutdown was? If if we, the voters, I mean, we are also, you and I, are affected by the choices of who other voters send into Congress, whether we would like to have disruptors or not, we do. Does that mean if the government were to shut down and no agreement were possible, the government could continue to be shut down until the 2024 election when other when Congress uh, like House members would be replaced? I mean, is that theoretically possible? Well, theoretically, yes. Could anything else be done? I mean, is there any type of workaround beyond an election? to fund the government or is that it all right so so your first question could they continually bring up the resolution to vacate the chair theoretically yes they could just continue to do it it's it's a little different than when they were electing the speaker because the 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 house cannot move forward without a speaker of the house it's just something that has to happen before the government can function because you cannot swear in new members of congress until there's a speaker to swear them in. Uh, Government shutdowns. All right, let's look at the top 10 government shutdowns. Let's look at history. This is going to be fun. 1980, under Jimmy Carter, one day. Now we come to 1981. We did it again. Again, one day. But that was under Reagan. Again, Reagan, 1986, one day. 1984, Ronald Reagan again. Wow, we expanded out to two days. 1990, under George the first Bush, Bush one, three days. 2018, under Trump, three days. 1985, under Clinton, five days. Coming in at number three, 2013, under Barack Obama, 16 days. Number two, uh, which actually went from 95 to 96, under Bill Clinton, 21 days. And the top government shutdown of all time, the record holder, was from 2018-2019 under President Donald Trump, 35 days, and cost an estimated $5 billion. Shutdowns are not good for the economy. They're not good for the United States. They're not good for anybody. To use a shutdown like the debt ceiling, when we talked about that, as a political bargaining chip is hoping that the electorate does not understand the impact that a shutdown has, where the reality is, is that it does have real world 
consequences to the economy, a whole bunch of different reasons. In the case of, of this time around, um, funding to help Ukraine would would gone. So there's there's a lot of, of different things to consider under this. Could we continually shut down? How do you fix that? Theoretically, there really isn't any, I don't know if there's a mechanism. The Congress, especially the House of Representatives, controls the purse strings. They control the money, not the president. Executive orders might be able to be put out there, but of course they'd be challenged in the Supreme Court. There are so many things, whenever we go back to the founding of the United States, that the founding fathers could not have possibly anticipated. This is one of them. The idea of the United States government shutting down because of 20, 15 or 20 people, if that does not say we need to have some sort of a referendum, potentially change the way we do things. But here's the problem with that. If you change it in such a way that there's a mechanism to get around it, political power is lost. Those, those 15 people now have no power whatsoever. They're never going to go for that. If you gave the president a mechanism to work the government while Congress is doing its infighting, Congress will never agree to that because then they lose the power, the, the total power of the purse strings. It's a matter of having total power over things, and they just won't. I, I can't see them. I can't see any reasonable Congress, be it Democrat or, or Republican, giving up that that power to, to anyone else because it is the political power that they will. It is the bargaining chip. Unfortunately, they're bargaining with the country. So, yeah, there's a lot of hypotheticals. But if we do the political math, there's 435 members. It takes 218 to do something. 20, pe 20 people, yes, they can disrupt things. Absolutely. I think we give that a little more credit than, than credit's deserved. Would it be political suicide for McCarthy to go across the aisle, sit down with Joaquin Jeffries and say, listen, you know what? I'm probably never going to be the speaker again after this. I might not even get reelected after this, but we have a responsibility to the country. So let's the two of us sit down. Let's add up. Let's do the political math. And let's govern. And that takes great courage. Does Kevin McCarthy have that courage? I think he, there was a glimmer of it the other day when he basically stood up and said, pass the effing bill. And if you want to come after me, come after me. So there was a glimmer of it. The fact that he survived this long in this position tells, says a lot to me. Can he continue to survive in the position? I don't even know if he'd want to, to be perfectly honest with you. Who'd, who'd want to? But now let's say that Speaker McCarthy dredges up fortitude rather than being pusillanimous. They passed the bill that keeps the government open until October 31st. Then McCarthy is voted out and the chair is vacated. Now they've got to find somebody else and they're unable to do so. So now nobody is able to get 218 votes and now there is no speaker. So now the House can't function and the deadline of October 31st comes and goes and there's no speaker. So nothing can get done. Is that that would be correct, right? They have to have a speaker to do 
anything. Yes. Okay. But but all right. But uh, let, let's. I mean, there's so many scenarios that this could play out. So let's 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 look at it from a different perspective. The Democrats have 212, so they're six short of what they need. I could see Joaquin Jeffries understanding that all he's got, all I got math, here's it's simple math. I got 212. I'm not going to get a Democrat as the speaker. Not going to happen. So I'm going to go find myself. I'm going to go across the aisle and I'm going to find the most moderate Republican that I can find that can garner his vote or her vote and five more from the Republican side. And that'll be the next speaker. You know, we're always looking at it from the Republican side. There are options for the Democrats as well. One of them is not probably realistically getting a Democrat as the Speaker of the House. It's probably realistically not possible. Even if they did, let's, let's say by some miracle they did, they still have the majority of votes on the Republican side. So it's going to be very difficult to move forward anyway. Joaquin Jeffries goes across the aisle and says, okay, fine. I'm going to find that most that most moderate, sensible with a brain Republican I can find that I can work with that wants to govern, I'm going to find five more that are going to support them. And now we can govern because now we got 218 because I'm going to get my caucus. I'm going to get my 212 to be agreeable and I'm not going to push my luck. I'm not going to throw a lot of real progressive things down the throat and say, Hey, I got 212 of, of your support here. I'm going to be reasonable. I'm going to be bipartisan. I'm not looking at this as zero sum. I do not have to win all the battles. So from the Democratic side, they can do this. Yes, there are 20 in the crazy caucus. But I would say there's probably that many of those moderate, can we just get on with it, Republicans. So I think in many ways, Jeffrey's math is a lot more realistically advantageous than McCarthy's math. We we could present all sorts of scenarios, votes, this, that, and the other out there, and, you know, well, this could happen. You know, it's like my grandfather used to say, if the little dog didn't stop to take a dump, he would have caught the rabbit. It, it's the what-if scenario. There's so many what-ifs. But if we look at it realistically, it this is all a product of political math. The the number, the only important number is 218. No other number matters. Democrats have 212 of those. They're six short. So you can't have a Democrat being the, the speaker. But, but if you find that one or 10 reasonably conservative but moderate Republicans whose real desire is to govern. You got the math. That could also be McCarthy. McCarthy could go across the aisle. And again, for him, it's suicide. If, if Jeffries make comes across the aisle, I think the, 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 you know, the Democrats will see it. And now the progressives aren't going to like it. You know, that, that group of 20. So progressives are not going to like it, but the progressives are definitely, uh, less zero sum than the crazy caucus. Progressives understand, you know, we lose an awful lot of battles, but eventually we're going to win the war because the world, because the, society and the world progresses. So he can, he can get, he can get the progressives to stomach it. And I think he's got a pretty good handle 
on his on his caucus. Well, Jeffries does. So if Jeffries crosses over, it's not. It, it, I don't think it's it's political suicide at all. I think it's seen as hey, doing the smart math thing, and getting stuff done. McCarthy does is probably political suicide if he goes across to the Democrats and say, "Listen, you got two twelve. I'm going to be that reasonable." moderate Republican. And I know I've got maybe another 10 or 15 votes that are going to go with me. And let's just ignore the crazy caucus and all of those on the fence. He could do it, but he risks, I mean, again, it could be possible political suicide for him if he doesn't because they'll primary him. They'll, I mean, they're going to punish him for doing that. They can't really punish Jeffries. Maybe that's the conversation that really has to happen. McCarthy goes across, you know, over a beer with Jeffries and says, okay, we want to govern. We need to govern. We need to get this uh, thing straight. How about you come across? I'll even give you the names. I'll step down as speaker. I'll give you the guy or girl that's that you guys can stomach to be the next speaker. And I'll even give you the names of the people that are going to vote for him. You give me your 212. You guarantee your 212, and we can make the crazy caucus go away. We could relegate them to the to the you know the cloak closet, where they can go in there and yell all they want. They're not going to be able to do anything, but they can go in there and they can yell as much as they want. So there 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 are a bunch of what ifs. Those would be the what ifs that might be able to solve it. So, but that requires people being reasonable. Yeah. And it also requires putting country above party and above the self and political career. I don't know. I mean, I know you you were right about the debt ceiling and I was very much incorrect. And I'm hoping that um, because what you're saying makes sense and I'm hopeful Um that uh, one of the scenarios that you have suggested that may, that has the math working to 218 will um, come to fruition. Because I personally don't care who the speaker is. I don't know if the only person who cares who the speaker is is McCarthy himself, uh, because it's his role of a lifetime and this and that. I mean, and as you say, I don't know who would want the job. But if he's desperate to keep it, if if you were he and you were desperate to keep that and that was your overriding priority how might you approach this so that you can have your speakership maintained and try to avoid the shutdown or be able to blame it on biden or something like that what Oh, boy. Uh, if there's one thing that we've noticed in in the past oh, six to eight years, maybe maybe a little longer than that, it could it could always go, it could go all the way back to two thousand and eight. Republicans that cooperate with Democrats are punished far more by their constituents than Democrats that cooperate and act bipartisanly with. Republicans. That just seems to be the way it is. It's unfortunate. If I'm Kevin McCarthy and I want to keep my job, 
That beer I'm going to have with Joaquin Jeffries, nobody's going to know about. I mean, no one. I mean, even my staff isn't going to know about it. I'm going to send a text and it's going to be, we're going to meet someplace where nobody else is around and we're going to fix this. I would lay out, okay, we both have a common enemy. And I think that's something that, that people who, who look at this as, as the tribalism of politics don't understand. The cr- crazy caucus is the enemy of everybody. Yes, they want to own the libs. Yes, they want to. But you know what? They also want to own the conservatives. They are the greatest hurdle that the speaker has. So they're the enemy to everyone. How do we mitigate them? How do we relegate them to that cloak, to the congressional cloak closet and where they could just scream at each other and cry and whine and whatever, go on OAN and Newsmax and, you know, Pitch a pitch a fit. They're going to reach, I don't know, 3 million people tops on those two platforms. I think that's the, if you want to stay the speaker, that's the way to go. And I think you got to make the deal. And I think you got to be realistic in, in that, in that sense, you've got to say, okay, Kevin McCarthy, 2024, I'm not sure the Republicans will maintain their majority. I'm not sure, but Joaquin Jeffries, if they do, the enemy, unless they're voted out, still exists. Now, if the enemy is voted out, our, our deal is done. We, we, we survived the last year and a half. We did what we had to do and we, we governed. If the Republicans maintain control of the house and the crazy party is gone or reduced to the point where their numbers don't impact what we want to do, then, Hey, are we, we accomplished short term, what we wanted to do. If the crazy caucus still exists and the Republicans still have a majority, our deal continues. We work together behind the scenes, behind closed doors to make this, to be able to govern. And we continue to relegate the one enemy that we all have, we relegate them again to the proverbial cloak closet of the, of the house of representatives. If the Democrats win control of the house, once again, now it's a moot point. But the fact is, is that because the crazy caucus, if the Democrats were to become the majority crazy caucus, wouldn't, wouldn't have any real power. You just 15, 20 voices complaining about everything. So, you know, that to, to, to stay in power, he's got to look at it short term. This is one of those things we always say, you know, politicians look short term. That's a bad thing. In this instance, it's the only thing he's got. He has nothing else. Yes, you're the Speaker of the House. You will go down in history as one of the weakest speakers of the House who was unable to do anything. If you want to do something, if you really want to govern, then. These are the options you have. His, his options are limited. So he realized that, okay, let's take this in, in steps. First become the speaker. Then deal with the issues you have to deal with. You know they're there. And I don't think he, he went in 
not understanding that, that the issues were there. I think he knew, I mean, he went in wide, eyes wide open what was going to happen. And I think that, you know, in, in some ways he has survived this long. I mean, when I was talking to, you know, Scott, we talked about it. Scott thought he'd be out by 4th of July. Yeah, here we are. We're 20th of September and he's still there. And he got the debt ceiling through. And he got the infrastructure thing through. Now, those are about the only things he's gotten through. But he's gotten them through. But two things in a year and a, in, in, you know, a year and a half is not a whole heck of a lot. That's not, you know, some great monumental accomplishment. And he had to do it with the help of the Democrats. So uh, for me, it's a turning point to say, all right, are we going to reject Trumpism? Are we going to reject the crazy caucuses? Are we going to relegate them to the backwaters of history and 100 years from now let historians absolutely just lambaste them for, for who and what they are? And if the country's going to move forward, it has to start somewhere. And maybe this is maybe this is where it starts. Because if it doesn't start right now, they won't get anything done. What is it? The the 29th, the 30th of September? That's next week. Uh, coming up very, very quickly, I guess we'll find out quite rapidly whether uh, Speaker McCarthy is as um, wily as uh, we all hope he is. And I hope that, again, you're correct. If things start to work then something has changed. Correct. Exactly. And as you say, his options are limited and it would have to be something that was so incredibly um, compartmentalized that no one would know about it. And um, it would have to be something either precisely or extremely close to what you have described, it seems to me especially if he retains his speakership. I mean, even if there's a vote on his speakership um, and um, uh, especially if he retains his speakership, it seems to me, uh, maybe that could be part of an agreement with um, other moderate Republicans. I think we'll have a pretty good idea of how Speaker McCarthy did it. All right, Brooke, there, we've, we've talked about what's keeping you up at night and uh, all the scenarios and all the possibilities. Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, well, we'll find out, though, next we week. We will find out very shortly, uh, yeah. absolutely. And if something does start to change, we'll then have, we, could t- uh, we could take credit and say, yes, we already had that part figured out. Yep, he listened to Mark. And if not, then... Well, you know, found and he ought to hire you as his uh, political consultant. Yeah, I could not see that. I could not see me being. uh, uh, No, no, I I, no, I I can't see it. But anyway, well, good talking to you, Brooke. Yep. As always, Mark. Thank (laughs) you. Take care. You too. Bye bye. 
So that's all the time we have for today's episode. We'd like to thank our sponsors, the JCIS, an open journal for upcoming scholars. The JCIS is currently accepting article submissions for their fall 2023 edition. Call for Papers information can be found in the description. The Phoenix Group, an independent research consortium offering solutions for social issues through multidisciplinary and unbiased research. And BH Conflict Resolution Services, a full-service dispute resolution firm offering expert and cost-effective mediation services to couples, groups, and businesses. BHCRS can be reached at www.bhcrs.com. We'd like to thank our podcast partners, Buzzsprout, who hosts the Nova Society, iHeartRadio, where people get their music and podcasts, Apple iTunes, the largest source for music and podcasts on the internet, Spotify, the most popular source for the Nova Society podcast. Finally, PodKite, our analytical partners. We'd like to thank all of our listeners. If you have a comment, question, or would like to be a guest on the Nova Society, we can be reached at nova.society.podcast at gmail.com. We'd also like to remind everyone that the Nova Society podcast is now available on our new YouTube channel. We encourage everyone to check out the channel and like and subscribe. The link can be found in our description. Remember, the power of society is knowledge. So for Dr. Brooklyn Ann Weldon and all of us here at the Nova Society podcast, I'm Dr. Mark Bound. Be well, and we hope to see you again next time.